Reclaim Your Brain podcast. I'm Dr. Liz Rook. I'm a certified life coach and rheumatologist, and I'm here to show you how I combine science, coaching, and psychology to solve stress and worry for me. And now I want to show you how you can do the same to enjoy the life you've worked so hard to create. It's time to stop struggling and have more fun. Let's do this. All right, y'all. Happy Tuesday. I have been having some fun tech issues this morning. I got a new microphone for Christmas from my fabulous husband, and I have been trying to get it to integrate with GarageBand, which is the system I use to record my podcast now so I don't have to transfer it over from Zoom and then download and upload and edit that way. So it's much more streamlined. But then I couldn't listen to my playback this morning. So I've been round and round for about 45 minutes. So I think I finally got it down and I am so excited to talk to you about this topic of perfectionism today. If you have ever entertained an idea that you could be a perfectionist, this episode is for you from one recovering perfectionist to another. There is hope and there is a way to free yourself from the paradigm of perfectionism and use it to your advantage as well. And yes, that's right. There is an upside to perfectionism that most of us miss when we identify and attempt to shed it from our identities. Most of us pick up the idea of perfectionism in our childhood. We're encouraged to do our best, to be our best, and to strive for perfection in a 10 out of 10 in everything we do. And y'all, trying to reach an invisible, unattainable, unidentified, idealized notion is freaking exhausting because just like the idea of enough, which we talked about in episode 10, the goal of perfection just keeps moving further away from us the closer we get because it's an illusion, an ideal, an idea of what we're working towards, but it's not real, nor is it realistic. So you may or may not know this, but I was a competitive gymnast starting around the age of seven. We were taught skills and routines on the floor, bars, vault, and balance beam, and we practiced them repeatedly. We practiced skills and routines for hours every week. We practiced in order to create muscle memory so that when our nerves took over during a competition, for the 30 to 60 seconds of each event where we attempted to create perfection to the best of our abilities, we could focus and complete our task. And often, especially when I was in my head, my nerves would take over and the skills I could do so beautifully in practice were a hot, wobbly mess during the competition. Back then, we didn't have sports psychology and mental training like we do now. It was more about wanting to please ourselves, our parents, our coaches, and strive for that perfect 10 of perfection. And as we wobbled, we forgot to point our toes, or we forgot to squeeze our legs together during each movement, the judges who were watching us would deduct from the starting score to give us our score total for the routine. We always strove in those moments to the best we could knowing, especially with the lower levels of our sport, that a 10, a perfect score, was unusual and unlikely, but it did give us a specific goal that was attainable for us to shoot for and work towards. 
And I'm old enough that not only was the scoring out of 10 for each event in our gymnastics competitions, and to be honest, I have no idea how they even score gymnastics now because I turn the TV on and they're getting these totals and it's so different from what it was when I competed. And I still get very emotional watching college gymnastics or the Olympics because my body physically feels what the gymnasts are going through. But back when I started, there were four different classes of competition. So there was class four, class three, class two, and class one, and then the elite gymnasts who went on to train and compete in the Olympics. Then when I was in middle school, they changed the classes to levels, and I was a level seven, I believe, from a class two or three. And then I moved on to class or level eight and then a level nine by the time I went to college and joined the team there. And one thing I was always proud of was that I quote unquote made it to level 10, which was the top level, because college gymnasts competed under modified level 10 criteria. So I'm giving you some examples of reaching perfection and getting to the score of 10 or achieving perfection in a sports competition because it gives us a framework to talk about perfection and goals and ideals. So the distinction in sports or even in day-to-day life is that we have a specific goal or ideal that's achievable and we know because it's been done before or it's physically or mentally possible to achieve, celebrate, and hold in your hand like a gold medal that you would win. And it's perfection in that sense. It gives us a purpose to work towards because it's well-defined. Where most of us fall short is that we take that gold medal and then we hypothetically whip ourselves with it because we're not quote unquote there. Because we're making it mean that if we can't achieve the perfection or we haven't yet, we're relating that back to somehow we're not worthy of breathing, relaxing, enjoying our lives, or even existing. And that, my friends, is where we go wrong with the idea of perfectionism. The other way that perfectionism as a concept hurts us and holds us back is when it manifests as all or nothing thinking. We've all experienced this before, and I'm going to go to all or nothing, (laughs) and it sounds like some version of, well, I'm not going to even bother trying this because what's the point? I won't be able to achieve it anyway. And that, my friend, is quitting ahead of time and not even taking a chance to see what's possible for you. These two main concepts are the two things that I consider the poisons of perfectionism. That self-criticism based on an unattainable ideal, and then also giving up before we start, which are the only true ways to fail at anything in life is to not go for it at all. And then on the flip side, where perfectionism can help us is that it gives us a vision of our goal or dream then we get to shift our focus and intention to solidifying and creating that goal and making it something tangible, measurable, and concrete so we know when we've achieved it. If we have a vision of what we want in life, whether it's this perfectionistic fantasy of life will be great when, I will be happy when, I will feel successful when, that's not helpful to us because it's very vague and undefined. And This is the step that we often forget. When we let our goal stay vague and nebulous or out there versus using it as a starting off or jumping off point, we forget to concretely define what we want to achieve 
from a space of possibility and making that goal real and attainable to us by defining it and creating a measurement for it so that we know when we have it. When we leave that idea or goal as an ideal that's vague and non-measurable, this is when perfectionism as a concept and practice can be poisonous as it seduces us into not trying and not pushing past our fear or our doubts and not believing in the possibility of the outcome that we haven't yet achieved. Because why bother if we can't reach it because it's not measured and by definition a vague standard or ideal? And perfectionism is an unconscious way of life for many of us. And it's an idea that we absorbed when we were younger. But ultimately, it's an idea which is a thought which creates a habit of either going all in or giving up, or it can be a mechanism and concept that we use to criticize or berate ourselves with because we're quote unquote, not there yet, because there is not defined and not realistic. Knowing that perfectionism is just an idea is that once we're aware of that definition and application we have for it, we can shift it to our advantage if we want to, rather than throwing it out with the bathwater. It has been demonized and conceptualized in our society and defined by our cultural standards as harmful because we often use it as a standard by which we'll never measure up and that we compare ourselves to. And when we compare, we always despair and we always find ourselves coming up short. It's similar to that concept of enough. And when we're measuring our worth as women by a standard of perfection or a standard of worthiness that is somehow out of our reach or ill-defined, we're never going to be able to measure up. We're always going to be on the losing end of that comparison. But when we can define perfectionism or worthiness or enoughness in terms of it's already been achieved, we're already perfectly formed as humans, we're already perfectly worthy, and we will always be lovable in who we are right now, it releases us from that prism of perfectionistic standards. So perfectionism as defined by cultural standards can be harmful if it's applied as initially defined. But you, my friends, always have the ability to redefine anything as a tool for yourself in a way that will propel you forward towards what you want versus holding you back and allowing you to beat yourself up over it, especially if it's an idealized standard that you didn't define initially, but It just accepted and absorbed by osmosis, by being a woman living in our culture and our society. So I want to offer that having a high standard and knowing what you want to achieve and how you want to get there is not a bad thing. It's okay to expect a lot out of yourself. However, when you make it mean that you're a failure or that you're falling short or that you're not okay and totally whole and worthy when you don't or haven't yet achieved the outcome you want, That is where we become victims of our own standards. So as an example of how I use perfectionism in my life, and I've kind of redefined and turned it around for good instead of evil, is that in the clinic as a rheumatologist, I often tell my patients that I'm a perfectionist for their health. I am never going to give up until they're feeling as good as they possibly can with the diagnosis they have and the treatments that we offer. 
and my treatments often include counseling and coaching them on lifestyle, nutrition, activity, and stress triggers because this puts some of that ownership back in their hands and empowers them to know that they can make a difference in their life and their health especially in a situation where it may be a new diagnosis or chronic diagnosis. And it's very easy to feel helpless and hopeless and victimized. And I use perfectionism as a standard for myself, as a tool to use for them, not against myself or against them. And I don't make it mean that I am perfect or that they're perfect or that the treatments are perfect either. I define perfectionism in a container of patient care to use it as a guide and a starting point to define what they want to achieve in our relationship in regard to their health. And I do the same with my coaching clients, but I don't state it explicitly because perfectionism has this bad rap. And often I'm doing the work with my clients of unraveling the meaning of perfectionism in their life and how it has negatively affected their self-worth and self-concept, which we have to explore that before we can redefine it and use it as a secret superpower. Knowledge and awareness are part of our superpowers because we can't change what we're not aware of. And often we ourselves are too close to our own brains to easily reclaim and rewire them. And this is where having the assistance of that coach, that neutral third party who is focused on your brain objectively and is not affected by your emotions that you're feeling in the moment and can see your path from your thoughts to your results and be able to help you reclaim those thoughts to get the results you want. And this can make all of the difference. And it helps you get to your goal of balance and thriving so much faster than you can on your own because of that neutrality and that objectiveness when they're looking at your thoughts and their and your feelings and how they're connected to the behaviors that you have and the results that you're getting. And I've experienced this in my own life as well. So as I mentioned at the beginning, I consider myself a recovering perfectionist and also a recovering people pleaser. These two patterns were part of my identity for the first 40 plus years of my life on this planet. And only in getting coached and becoming aware of my default recurring patterns of all or nothing perfectionistic thinking and also people pleasing by wanting other people to see me in a certain way as nice, generous, kind, and loving, have I been able to separate my identity and my habits from these pervasive and ineffective patterns of thinking and being the way that they're initially defined. I can vouch that becoming aware of my sneaky patterns and how they affect my relationships, my behavior, and then my tendencies towards stress and burnout, they've helped me immensely to let go of criticizing myself when they keep coming up. Because now when I come up with not enoughness or all or nothing thinking, it's much more sneaky than it used to be. Now that I look back, it was so obvious in the past where I was seeking perfection in myself and in my actions. And now it's very subtle and very sneaky. And that's where having a coach to kind of help me unpack all that and look at it in an objective way is so powerful. So being able to see this and not criticize myself when it happens and instead focus on loving myself compassionately through and in those moments to stay focused 
on my end goal and how I want to thrive in my health while balancing my career, my business, and my relationships. Because y'all, we're all busy. We're all doing multiple things and we all have goals for our life. We have goals for our relationships, for our career, for our families, for our businesses. And how we think about ourselves and how we treat ourselves through it is so important and it's something we don't learn growing up we don't learn in school we don't usually have good role models for this so this is something that we have to seek out on our own and this is part of my biggest growth in the past year so i want you to know that if you can relate to perfectionism and see the all or nothing patterns of your thinking and decision making occurring in your life it's okay it's not only okay it's actually fantastic when you can see it and identify it And then that next step, that default might be to start beating yourself up. And this is where coaching can blow up your self-concept and truly free you from that self-imposed prison of that not enoughness, that unworthiness, and that I'm not lovable as is perspective. Because I promise you that you, my friend, are worthy and lovable. And if you're anything like me, you've been running on this hamster wheel towards the goal of worthiness. But it's an unending hamster wheel and it's a dead end street. So if you are ready to get off the hamster wheel and opt out of the cycle of blame, shame, guilt, and helplessness for good so that you can enjoy balance, freedom, and success in your career, your health, and your relationships, it's time to connect because I can help you get there in the next three months. Next step would be to click the link in the show notes to set up your free consultation call. We will talk about your specific situation and how you can quickly and simply start shifting your focus to thrive in your life and your health. All right, my friends, as always, if you found this podcast episode helpful, I appreciate you sharing it and also reviewing the podcast so we can continue to help you thrive. Have a fantastic week and I will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening today. If you love what you're hearing, be sure to hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you want more inspiration and stress solutions to feel better and live joyfully, click the link in the show notes to join my email list to get joy delivered straight to your inbox. It is never too late to reclaim your brain and thrive in your life.